friends, welcome back to Real Talk with Rachel. I am your host, Rachel Gilbert. Each and every one of you has extraordinary and unique gifts, but things like fear, insecurities, lies, and even past wounds keep us from receiving God's best and releasing those gifts into our world. This show is a safe place you can come to hear relevant, engaging, and authentic topics to help you get real, live free, and pursue your God-given dreams. The date of this show released is November 27th, which means Thanksgiving is tomorrow. And my hope is that you're able to listen to this episode all about exchanging grumbling for gratitude as you travel to your Thanksgiving Day destination. Today's guest, Trisha Goyer, is a busy mom of 10. Yeah, I said that right, 10. She's a doting grandma and wife to John. A USA Today bestselling author, Trisha has published 70 books, that's a big seven zero, and is a two-time Carol Award winner as well as Christie and ECPA Award finalist. She won the Retailer Best Award in 2015 and has received starred reviews from Romantic Times and Publisher Weekly. She's also on the blogging team at thebettermom.com and other homeschooling and Christian sites. Trisha is the founder of Hope Pregnancy Ministries and currently leads a teen mops group in Little Rock, Arkansas. Her most recent book is The Grumble-Free Year, which we chatted about on today's episode. Be sure to stay tuned to the end to hear how to enter to win a copy of that book. It's one I read in just a few days because it is so good. All right, let me go ahead and introduce you to the conversation I had with my friend, Trisha Goyer. Well, hello, Trisha. How are you doing today? I'm great, Rachel. How are you? I'm great. I'm excited to be on this call with you and chat with you about all kinds of fun things. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So in the beginning, I usually read some kind of professional bio of my guests, but then I like to ask you, is there anything that we may not read on your professional bio? Just a fun fact about you. Um, a fun fact about me is I have a puppy that I got for the kids that loves me more than anybody else. And so the, the puppy just follows me around in the house everywhere and it drives the kids crazy because they really wanted a puppy, but the puppy attached to me. So Aww, that's pretty fun. That's so sweet. I love it. How long ago has that been that you got the puppy? He's a year. Okay. Yeah, he's a year old. Yeah. That's hilarious. My kids would feel the same way. They would, they would be so mad about that. So yeah, <laughs> I love yeah. it. <laughs> um, okay, so we have a lot to get through. So let's let's hop in. For fir- first of all, I have to just rest on the fact that in your bio you have written seventy books. Is that correct? Yeah. My I'm mind is 70. my mind is straight up blown <laughs> by that. I'm over here trying to write my first, and I'm like, "How are you people popping these things out every <laughs> every five minutes?" It feels like. Tell me about that. Tell me about that process yeah. for you. Well, it, it's been a long journey. So I was a mom at a young age. I had my oldest when I was 17, and I was pregnant with my third when I was 22. Um, I met and married John after I had my first. Um, God brought him in my life. And so here I was, 22 years old, and wanted to be a Christian writer. And so saved up my money, babysitting other people's kids, went to my first writer's conference. And that was in 1994. So this is a long, like, it's probably, a bit conference is probably more than some of your listeners are old. Um, But it's just been a long journey. I just started at first writing magazine articles for magazines like Home Life. And there used to be one called Christian Parenting Today. And then eventually moved into books. My first book with focus and the family came out in 1999. And since that time, I write both fiction and nonfiction. So I've been 
writing, you know, two, three, sometimes four, four books a year. And, you know, it took, I mean, I had like five years of rejection before anything got published. So I think a lot of people just say like, wow, well, look at this. But it was a lot of work going to conferences every year and doing a lot of writing, getting a lot of rejections. Like there weren't blogs back then. That's why I was doing magazine articles because that was kind of the place you kind of build your name before you moved into books. And that's, I kind of got in before all the, the social media and the blogs and all those things exploded. Yeah, so I feel like those of you who had to start in that time, we owe even more of a round of applause to because it is so much easier now to test your topics out with people and see is this, you know, before you go off and write a book on it, you know, see people do people right. even want to know about this topic. And I, it's kind of interesting too to know that in 1994, there were writers' conferences happening. That's, that's, there were, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, so because I think the first time I met you in person was actually at the Declare Conference. Um, yeah, was, I think so. Yeah, I know you've attended and then you spoke at it a few years ago. And so, yeah, I was I was very impressed by you then. So I love I love attending conferences myself. But anyways, when I read that about you, I was like, okay, that's inspiring. <laughs> Teach me your way. So, <laughs> um, so what was your first book that you wrote? Um, the first one was for Focus on the Family. It's called Mealtime Moments. Okay. It's since been re- republished called Wits End Mealtime Devotions. So it was like a work for hire family devotional. But then my first, like my book that wasn't for like like a work for hire was um, a novel called From Dust and Ashes. It's a World War Two hist- historical novel. And I just went to um, a concentration camp with friends. We were all on vacation and I heard the story about these men liberating a concentration camp. These 23 Americans didn't even know the camp was there. And then the first one into the camp was a Nazi officer's wife and she hadn't been happy with what had been happening. This is all true story. Um, And she went in and started feeding and caring for the prisoners. I'm like, that would be an amazing novel. And I ended up interviewing dozens of the veterans that were there, some of the Holocaust survivors. I interviewed people who knew the women. I interviewed people that lived outside the camps. And so here I was, this Young mom, I think I was 28 at the time, attending World War II reunions, getting these stories. And I was just like, who am I to write about this? I just felt like so, I don't have, I have only a high school diploma. I don't have any college degree. I've gone to college like one semester. I'm like, who am I? And I felt God saying, just like you, just like those people that were imprisoned and locked away, I was their great liberator that you know freed them and I am your great liberator that frees you and frees your soul um so it was just like me saying okay god if you can trust me with these stories I will write them and that's just been like whether it's fiction or nonfiction, if god puts something on my heart and I feel like there's a message there and a publisher agrees I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do it but most of the time I often feel unqualified to do it Okay, I I feel like that's a complete mic drunk moment right there, because even if someone listening today can't relate to wanting to write a book, we can all relate to the statement that said when you said, who am I? I mean, I think that we all just who am I to do this? But I love how, like you mentioned, you don't have technically these certifications and the degrees that one should have, you know, to do this thing. But yet God continued to strategically position you for this call on your life and just bust it. I mean, talking about an amazing opportunity, just busting open the doors and planting you. And that really encourages me. So I know I know it will encourage other people who are listening because that's just that's very inspiring to see that. I'm curious, do you enjoy writing fiction or nonfiction better? It depends what I'm writing. So when I'm writing fiction, I'm like, oh, nonfiction is so much easier. <laughs> and if I'm writing nonfiction, I'm like, oh, I just want to write a novel. <laughs> so I think it's just too, 
completely different parts of my brain. Yeah. Um, and I got into parenting books just because people would you know, speak at mops groups and people just started asking me stuff all the time. So mm-hmm. pretty soon I'm like, okay, I'm just going to write some parenting books too. But it's just two completely different sides of my brain. And, and right now, because I've been writing so much nonfiction, I'm kind of itching to get like back into a novel, just really dig deep into characters and character arcs and that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, that says a lot about your art of a writer that you can do both and you can swing back and forth. I think that's a pretty big deal. You don't, I, I feel like you don't see that a whole lot. Maybe I'm wrong, but yeah, I don't think very many people do it. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the book we're going to talk about today is your newest book that's releasing next week. Actually, by the time this airs, it will already be released and it's called the grumble free year. Tell us about that one. Yeah, so the Grumble for Year is our social experiment of trying as a big family to go a year without grumbling. Now, we have, um, when we started this, we had eight kids at home, my husband and I, and then my grandma, who's in her upper 80s, lives with us too. And so really, because we adopted most of our kids, they came with a lot of trauma in the past and a lot of anger, and we were kind of working through that. But we under we saw that there's this underlined grumbling, just complaining. And we're like, hey, look at we're all together. We're a family. Like we have a home. We brought you home. And it's like they were grumbling just over just little things. And I was grumbling because all of a sudden we've added six people through adoption to our house. It's messy. I don't have time. And we realized like we need to do something different. And my husband and I said, you know, it's going to take a while. Like it's going to take a year. We need to give them some motivation. So we told them, like, if we work on this for a year, we'll take you guys on a cruise, which they're like, okay, it made it worthwhile for them to work on. But really, it was us like, what can we do to stop grumbling, looking at scriptures? I came up with some activities, which most of them did not work. (laughs) It did not work to curb their grumbling, but I learned things on the way to kind of look at myself and then help my kids to overcome their grumbling tendencies. I love that. I think in listening to your story, I would almost feel justified in the grumbling. Like you mentioned, like all these people and it's like, oh my goodness, like that is even just as the mom, that would be really tough to participate in that challenge. And so you mentioned um, in your book about how whenever God put this on your heart to do grumble for a year, he, he started with you. Do you want to share about that too? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think so many times it's like, okay, I see a, something I want my kids to change something I want them to do differently. But I'm I'm like, I'm grumbling all the time. I'm griping at them to pick up their shoes to do their chores. And I realized like, I really need to look at myself. And so by looking at myself, I had to look like how I was raised. And my family was very much my grandma, my mom, my stepdad was we're they're not like complaining. They're not yelling. They're not like these big complaints. But it's just like muttering like, I wish I had that. Oh, it would be nice if I could go on vacation. And just that underlying kind of being a martyr. And I realized like I was doing that. And I had been doing that like since I've been married. My husband was, you know, going to school and working. And I'm, you know, I wish I can leave the house. I'm home with all these kids. Or I wish I can just have a day to write without the kids at home. And it was that martyr in me. And I think there was even a time in my life where that could have been really bad. I had an old boyfriend about 15 years ago. So um, we've been almost married 30 years, but after you know, we've been married 15 years, his old boyfriend approached me and like, I think you're so beautiful. And he actually had a, chi- a, do- a child with someone else. He's like, I named my daughter after you and I mean, all this stuff, like flattery, like you, your family doesn't appreciate you. And just like his words, just like kind of fed something in me. I'm like, okay, this is a problem. Like immediately broke off communication and talked to my friends and had them pray with me and talk to my husband because I realized like because I wasn't sharing my needs and I was just being a martyr and I was just like grumbling and that 
when someone spoke like these words to me, I realized that, that I had been doing that. I'd just been feeling like everyone's taking advantage of me. And it really took me out of like thinking that everyone's taking advantage of me. I'm just a martyr to like, no, God has done good things in my life. Like I was a teen mom and look where I am. I'm starting to get books published and trying to switch my focus off the grumbling onto what God is doing. And so even when we started this year, I started going back again and looking to my tendencies of feeling like a martyr, feeling like I'm having to do everything and no one's doing anything for me and realizing like, no, God has given me an amazing family. He's given me these opportunities and to turn my focus there. And I think really it doesn't matter like what we have, it's where we turn our focus. And if we're turning it to God and thankfulness, or if we are just grumbling about everything around us. Yeah. And I love so many of the things you just said. I'm actually reading a book right now recommended to me by my counselor called The Emotionally Healthy Woman. And and a chapter I was reading last night, she was talking about how we lie often to people. Like we don't think that we lie, right? But even just things like what you mentioned, like I'm fine. I don't mind that you didn't come home till, you know, we, we aren't being honest. And so then that almost, I feel like plants something in our heart that starts out as maybe resentfulness or feeling overlooked or whatever. And then it comes out Mm -hmm. of our mouth in the form of grumbling. And so you talked about that as well, that grumbling is so much more than just a bad attitude, like that it's a matter of the heart. It is a matter of the heart. And it's really unfulfilled expectations and unrealistic expectations. And so much of this book was like me sitting down with God and like, okay, I tried this activity. It totally didn't work. But like, what do I need to learn? What do I need to teach my kids? And when I would think about the things that I grumble about, like the messy house or the noise, and it was like almost like the the spirit of God. It was like a loud voice, but like, how did you think you would add six people to your house and it wouldn't be a mess? Mm. It's just like being realistic and realizing like I would actually write down like the things that were bothering me and what is realistic about that. Yeah, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of noise. Um, We have a a single and then two sibling groups that came together. So it's them getting used to each other. Of course, there's going to be grumbling. They didn't grow up together. Like they didn't grow up with us as parents and realizing like I had totally unrealistic expectations. And instead of like trying to come up with solutions or taking it to God, I was just feeling overwhelmed and grumbling about it. So a lot of it was coming back to me and then talking to the kids about their unrealistic expectations that they might be grumbling about, you know, someone left this here. So I'm, I was supposed to do dishwasher and no one started the dishwasher last night. You know, just like realizing like we're all people, we're all going to make mistakes. And yes, we can, you know, there's things that are, we can truly get upset about. There's legitimate things we can be upset about, but most of the things that we grumble about are just, we want things to go a certain way and they don't happen. And so we grumble. So it's like realizing like, well, okay, the dishwasher isn't started. I'll start it now. And I'll come back in 20 minutes. You just realize like reworking our brain not to get in that that slump or get just those grumbles coming out because things don't work out exactly like we wanted them to. Yeah. What a powerful tool that you're giving your kids and then also anybody now reading your book to be able to flip the switch in their brain like that. Because think about when you have a job one day, right? You know, and right. co-worker doesn't show and now you've got to pick up their responsibility and you really have two choices in that moment, you know, to be like, it's okay, we'll make this work or just be a bad mood all day long. And then it affects not only you, your job, everybody else you encounter. So I love that. How 
practical that that is. Um, you know, something that I do for guests that come on my show, I ask you guys, what does real talk mean to you? And I loved your answer. I don't always read the answers aloud because sometimes they're great and maybe not necessarily applicable though to the show, but I felt like yours really was because you said something that I felt like struck a chord that I want to talk about. And you said that sometimes that people think they're being real and vulnerable when in fact they're grumbling. And you said that um, grumbling goes deeper. It's a hard issue. So I would love to know what is the difference between between being real with people and honest with people about what you're struggling through versus just grumbling at them, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's such a good question because I think it comes back to our heart motivation. So like I had a friend I was talking to yesterday and she's dealing with a really hard divorce and she's came out of a hard situation. And so, you know, I asked her like, how are you doing? And she tells me like things are hard, but I asked her, and I really want to know and I'm praying for her and I care. And it wasn't like she's just on social media and just blasting her ex and doing all these things and getting her kids involved. You know, I mean, it was it's back to the motivation. Why are you sharing with someone? And so when someone comes up to you and, you know, you know, the people that really like, how are you doing? Oh, good. And then the people who really want to know. And it's like, can I what can I share that can help people like know how to pray for me or know that I am going through a hard time without just grumbling and complaining? about everything and it is hard um, I mean I've had friends before that one of my friends she's a new Christian and she would just talk about her husband all the time and grumbling and complaining she called me up like you won't believe what he did and like I know he's sitting right there listening to her and I actually had to talk to her like I know you're frustrated but like you know we could talk about it definitely when your husband's not there but we could talk about it as something we could pray about together and if we actually started prayer walking and she would just share some of the struggles and we would pray and walk together and it was just like a way that she's still sharing maybe something that that she's have finding hard in her life but let's not just do it just to blurt it out to make someone feel bad to get it off our chest um you know to let our mouth just run with it but instead let's think about is it something we need to pray about together. And I think that really goes back to the motives of our heart. Wow. I love how empowering that is too, because it's, you know, it's still letting that person feel heard, but in a healthy way, you know, so you're not just Mm -hmm. completely silencing them saying, you can't say this at all. You're just saying, all right, let's figure out the context in which we're going to do this. Let's make sure it's healthy. And, and we're not, you know, throwing somebody else under the bus while we do it. I love that. For yeah. myself, because I am one of those people, and this is kind of where real talk came from for me. I'm one of those people that I tend to err on the other side of things of, I don't always bring things up because I don't want to be burdened people. Like that was a mm. thing, you know, like, I don't want to burden you. I don't want to bother you, you know, that whole thing. And so to have a friendship in my life, like what you just mentioned that would say, hey, I am interested in what's going on with you, but let's do it in a healthy form. And I think that's maybe why we shy away sometimes from those healthy conversations is because we've seen it done in unhealthy ways. Right. And I think people, when they're feeling the emotions, they want their emotions to feel justified. So it's easy to throw it out there like on social media and just rant about something. But it's not good for if it's about another person, that's not good. But it's not good for themselves. Like Mm -hmm. they're not solving anything just by ranting. And so many times our negative talk, our negative thoughts, our grumbles in our mind, they're just like a muddy rut that we get stuck over and over and over in the same thing. And we're not coming up with a solution, turning to God, you know, finding something we can be grateful for in the situation. We're just stuck in the mud and it's not good for that person. Um, You know, we want people to be real, but, you know, we want them to do it in a healthy way. Yeah, that's so good. Okay. So another thing you talked about in your book, uh, you called it the witching hours, which 
every single mom listening, especially moms who have really littles are like, yep, I know my witching hour, you know, (laughs) like they, you know, I've literally had phone conversations where they're like, oh, it's the witching hour. So when you, when that whole chapter, I loved it, but um, tell us how we can recognize that, but then also prepare for it so that we don't slip in to grumble mode in that time. (laughs) Yeah, And I I think what I look at is like, first, what are what's up? my witching hours and what are my kids mm. so for me like friday mornings we homeschool all week and then thursday nights i lead a teen mom support group so you know, our books pile up and papers pile up and then thursday night i'm gone and so often the dishes don't get done or you know the kids leave a mess because we don't have pickup time because i'm out of the house and so by friday morning i'm just like this place is a mess we need to get and i'm like grumbling and complaining and everyone you know at first jumps to it and they're they're getting stuff done but it's i'm not asking them in a healthy way. You know, I don't want my kids to always like wait until I get in a bad mood before they finally do something. So it was me realizing like, okay, it's going to be Friday. I know the house is a mess. Like later that afternoon or Saturday, like we'll have a time where we could clean up and just letting myself know, like I will walk over all these toys and shoes on the floor. Like I just prepare myself for that. And it just really helps me. But also my kids, I think so many times we try to discipline our kids when really they just need something to eat. They need a five minutes of quiet time they <laughs> need you know, from being stressed at school. Like one of our daughters, if she gets too hungry before dinner, she gets grumbling and complaining and gets on other kids and we can like discipline her and we can send her to her room. But I realize like she is just hungry. Like mm. I'm dinner got started late and not that it's giving her an excuse, but if I see that and if I catch it early enough, I'm like, here is, I'm going to cut up an apple for her. I'm going to give her some crackers. And she's the one that's always outside all day long running. And so I'm sure she's burning up a lot of fuel. And so just by being able to catch that and realize like, even I know dinner is going to be in 30 minutes, but here, I want you to, here's a little snack for you just to tide you over. And that really, really helps. And I think when we're have our kids running all the time and doing these activities and they don't have time to just have quiet and then they're hungry and, and then they say something, do something, we get on them for grumbling and then they're getting disciplined when we really should be stopping and saying, what do you need? What does my child need and how can I help my child? And for us, we've cut out a lot of activities. We try to only have one sports activity per kid per year and then, you know, try to have those times around the dinner table, times where they can relax, times where they could spend time playing outside with their friends instead of always on the go. I love how that is such intentional parenting. And I think that what I drew out of that was how important it is that when we see some kind of behavior thing happening, whether it's in our kids or us, that before reacting, we need to take a couple steps backwards and look mm-hmm. at the big picture and yeah. be like, okay, is there anything else that could be happening here? Like you mentioned with your daughter, is there anything else that I'm missing? And wow, that is just so powerful in so many ways. And it also helps our kids to feel seen and heard. And then they're probably also going to respond better when we say, you know what? I know your behavior right now is actually not at all about me. It's about the fact that you're starving or, you know, whatever the thing is that you, you were able to, the Lord was able to help you highlight. So thank you for that practical advice. Yeah, and often they can't see it. Like yeah. they don't know, like she doesn't know that she's hungry or she doesn't yeah. know. what. And, and sometimes when we pause and ask or try to figure stuff out, maybe it is the kid down the street was being a bully to them. Mm. And then they're going to come home and start grumbling about their homework or whatever it is. It's like, just like what's really going on. And when we can help them to see like one of my teen daughters, I'm like, you were really rude to your sister and you were grumbling about things and being upset with her. But really, you were upset because I didn't let you have more time on YouTube. You know what I mean? So you were angry at me, but you took it at your sister. And it just helps our kids, even when we can make them aware of that, Mm -hmm. then they're like, okay, this is something like, and she even, I had her write out like, 
how she was feeling and who she was really mad at and how she responded and how she could do things differently. And so she did it in five minutes, brought it to me. And you need to use these, especially when they're teens, as training for the future when they're in a job or when they're in college, just to see like there's something more to these grumbles than just, you know, my sister left her stuff on my side, in my side of the room or whatever. Yeah, that's so good. It's funny. Um, I'm actually in school studying to become a therapist and my kids now kind of joke with me. They're like, oh, mom, you know, like there's not always something because I'm always like, what's really going on? Like I'm always <laughs> I'm always digging deeper with them. And, you know, the cool thing is you don't need a degree to dig deeper with your kids. I'm like, that's not a therapist thing. That's a mom, innate mom instinct thing. That's like, there's something off with you. So lean into that and, and see, yeah. see what else is happening. So it's so good. At the beginning of the show, you mentioned that you tried a few things on this whole grumble for a year thing. And one of them that I read about in your book was the gratitude jar. You want to share about that and yeah. how that went? <laughs> and how that did not work. <laughs> so I had this idea that, you know, we'd have a gratitude jar. I showed all the kids, I showed them a the little paper. And like, whenever, you know, we see ourselves grumbling or I see you grumbling, we're just going to have you write something you're thankful for instead of grumbling about. So one of my daughters, and she was prone to complaining and grumbling every time I asked her to do her chore or something. It was just like she was 12. And that was just what happened. And so I said, no, just know when I ask you to do chore, you know, I want you to do it without grumbling. Well, no, of course she grumbled. And then I said, okay, you need to go write something that you're grateful for. I don't want to write something for the stupid gratitude jar. Okay. Well, that's two things you're going to be grateful for. By the time we went from her room, which is upstairs to downstairs, she had to write like nine things for the gratitude jar. And she just kept being mouthy and mouthy. And then she's like, fine. And she's scribbling on there and throwing that in there. I'm like, okay, that didn't work. Like you can't make someone when they're in a bad mood and they're grumbling, like trying to force them to turn their attitude around and to stop grumbling. It just made her worse and it just escalated the situation. So I'm like, okay, that did not work. So a couple mornings later, later when we're having our our prayer time and people were saying things that they're thankful for, I'm like, this is when we could use the gratitude jar. So when they're already feeling grateful, that's when we started writing and capturing the things we were grateful for, putting them in the jar. And then later we, we could go back during dinner time, you know, a couple weeks later and pull those things out. So I think so many times, like you can't force someone to change their attitude. You can't force someone to be grateful, but you could teach kids to capture their gratefulness. And as you do that, as you remind them how important and great being grateful is, how God appreciates it, appreciates it, how we appreciate it, then they just start doing it more that they want to write things for the jar when they're already feeling grateful or when they're they see something they need to be grateful for they 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 want to do that instead of trying to force someone because that did not work yeah I love that so do you still keep that out like always or how do you do that yeah we we do have it out and we I'll say probably a couple times a month they'll put stuff in it we also have gratitude journals which they write in and we write scripture verses and they have journal time and scripture time in the morning I would say we do those more but you know sometimes the kids are like oh yeah I want to write this for the gratitude jar so it's out and it's there and it's something like that we do turn to and but also in the morning time we do write in our gratitude journals too do you keep like little strips of paper for the jar or I'm yep, Mrs. Practical yep. over here. Yeah, no, yeah, we do. Like I, I cut up, I just get some scissors and just cut up, you know, just one inch by like three inch pieces of paper and keep them up there in a little pile, like next to the jars in my dining room. And it's just all there. So when someone wants to use it, or maybe we'll do it at dinner time, like let's all write something there, you know, Thanksgiving's kind of, a, let's put in something in the gratitude yeah. jar. Then, then it's already there. And people definitely know that they can put stuff in there. And it is fun going back 
later. And oh, yeah, I remember how happy we were when we got our puppy or whatever. I mean, if they could go back and read it, and it just stirs those memories of gratitude. Oh, that's so good. And I love, I, I don't know if you've ever heard the saying, I, I would give credit to who it is, but just basically what you look for, you will find. And so that makes me think about, like you said, if you're training that in them, if they're always looking for things to be grateful for, then hopefully they'll become, you know, kids and myself. I'm not going to put them in a box. I need to be more grateful myself. So um, yeah. maybe we'll be looking for that in people and everything. So I'm definitely going to do that. I'll, um, I will take a picture of it and tag you on social media because yeah, I think... Yeah. I think we all have some kind of jar sitting around and we all have pieces of paper sitting around, right? You know, it's not even an expensive thing to do. Like we own, you know, we could use a coffee cup. I don't know, whatever, whatever you own in your home. So that's so fun. I love that. And you mentioned gratitude journals. I also in your book saw that you guys do daily prayer journals. Tell me a little about how you do that, especially with 10 kids. (laughs) Yeah, we're currently homeschooling six. When I was writing the book, we were homeschooling seven. And you know, I've been homeschooling. My oldest is 30. Like I've been doing this a while. And I think so many times just in life, like we get focused on academics and I realize, like the things that really mattered is getting my kids into God's word. And so we've done scripture journals. We do gratitude journals. We do a mix of both. So write a scripture that you're, that shows some gratitude. And it's just, we sit down in the morning and they write out a scripture or the little kids. I mean, my nine-year-old still is like, thank you for mom and dad. Thank you for the dog. Like it's so simple. He doesn't have to write these huge scripture verses, but it's just that daily practice of writing something down. And then we'll just go around and we'll just pray. They could pray out loud. They could pray for one thing, or I have one child that will list 20 things and we'll want to pray for everyone, but it's okay. It doesn't matter. It's just that practice of getting them in God's word. And usually they find like, oh, I didn't know God's word said this, or I didn't know that's where the scripture was, or I didn't know that, you know, God meant that for me too. Or, you know, it's just a need to see like when we put God's word in their heart, it will not return void. Like it makes a difference in their lives. And, and I know it's like the hardest thing to like sit down with your kids and do this, but it just like, that's the first thing we do when we start homeschool in the morning. And it's just like, they just know that's what we do. And so whether it's dinner time or bedtime or when they're having their breakfast, once you make it a habit, then it'll be a habit for life. And the neat thing is, like, I have a 27-year-old, and I remember when she's probably 12 or 13, I would be having my quiet time, and she would make herself some hot cocoa, and she would get her little journal and her Bible and, like, sit on the other side of the couch because she saw me do it, and she developed that time. And now, you know, she's a missionary, and she lives in the Czech Republic, and she's ministering to people all the time. So it just makes me realize, like, now that I have adult adult kids, what really matters when they're little is to just get those habits in there. Yeah, I love that. And I know as a mom, I try to actually use my Bible, not just my Bible app. While I love my Bible app, it looks to my kids like I'm just scrolling social media. They don't know what I'm looking at, you know? And so I love it, developing that habit. And then just, I can only imagine, I mean, my kids are still young, so I haven't yet seen this, but I can only imagine how um, just enjoyable that is for you and your husband to see one of your kids who's grown and out of the house still, you know, doing those kinds of, those are the things that matter as parents, right? So that's so, I love that. Yeah. And I like, I like the real, like Bibles too. Like I do use my Bible app maybe through the day, but in the morning I have my Bible, mm-hmm. I have my journal and I started something, I guess four years ago, cause I'm on the fourth kid is cause I have 10 kids. So I, for a year I get a new journaling Bible. And so for the first year, Corey's my oldest, he's 30. I would write prayers for him. I would underline scripture. I would write stories of like, I remember when you asked Jesus in your heart and when you were baptized. And for that year during my quiet time, I just write in for him. 
And then I did the next year for Leslie, who's 27, and the next year for Nathan, who's 25. And now I'm doing it with my um, fourth one, who's 19. And so it's just neat for them. And I give it to them on their birthday, you know, after I've been doing it for a year. And then they have that. And so mm. it's been, I mean, to see my 25-year-old, like, t- big 6'2", you know, 225 guy just, like, tearing up to hold this Bible that I wrote prayers for him really was neat. I love that. Okay. Another thing I'm going to be starting. So you've given me all kinds of ideas. I love that. It's so good. I know as moms, sometimes we, oftentimes we blow it. So I'm sure as you embarked upon this grumble for a year, you might have blown it yourself and been the one grumbling or whatever. How do you, how do you bounce back from that and make sure that your kids see you're human just like them, but this is how we move on when we make these mistakes? (laughs) Yeah, well, I had to apologize a lot because here I am supposed to be leading them um, and John too, my husband too. But I would like get up in the morning and just get up on the wrong side of the bed and start grumbling about things. And, you know, they're not doing what they're supposed to. And then, you know, we'd sit down. I'm like, I am so sorry. Will you guys forgive me for grumbling at you today and for getting on you and griping at you? And, you know, yes, mom. And I mean, over and over, like at least once a week, I was apologizing. But then I saw later, like them apologizing to me and them apologizing to each other. And I would, you know, I would say maybe before I did it, like maybe once every couple months when I really blew up at them, would go back and apologize. But because we were just focusing on grumbling, it really made me look at even the little grumbles um, I needed to apologize for. And it, it humbled me a lot and it made me realize, like, I needed to do that. I needed to humble myself before them, but it also made them see that it's not just me telling them what to do, but really looking at my own heart and looking at my own self and trying to change. Yeah. Oh, that's so powerful. I know it's really powerful when our kids see us apologize to them, you know, and it's teaching them how to, how to do that themselves. This is so good. Okay. So I know we could talk about so much more, but Basically, if you guys are listening, you just need to get the book because every chapter is just filled with so much wisdom and truth. But then also you can clearly tell that you write fiction as well because you're a storyteller within the book. So I I love it. I appreciated it so much. Do you have any other books lined up right now? You don't tell us what they are, but are you working on your next one yet? Actually, I've been talking with my agent and my editor, and we might do another t- challenge type of thing, mm-hmm. which my kids want to. Like, they're like, what are we going to do next? Because at first, they're, I don't know, we don't want to do this. It's going to be a lot of work. Well, we did Calming Angry Kids first, which that came out last year, and it was about just how to help calm them and deal with their anger. And when I wrote that one, because it's talking a lot about them exploding and how I dealt with it and me exploding, how I learned to calm myself. And um, to have, especially my teenagers and preteens, when they read it, they would just cry. They're like, mom, it just was so helpful to see like your point of view and just capturing their stories. And then with the Grumble Free Year, just read about, they're like, how do you remember all this stuff? I'm like, well, I was kind of taking notes as we were going along, but they feel like it's neat because it's like kind of capturing our lives and how we're changing and, and growing. And so they are, they like, okay, what are we going to do next? So they're, so I haven't started working on it yet, but there's something definitely that, that we want to work on and another challenge. And it just makes us real, realize that we can change. Like mm-hmm. we moved from anger to calm and we moved from grumbling to gratitude. Not that we're perfect at all. Like we still dealing with this with, uh, with this on a daily basis, but all of us, I think we feel like, okay, when we work together, when we turn to God, like we can make a difference. And yeah, it takes time. Like a year is a long time to change, to work on something. But at the end, we could definitely see a difference compared to where we were at the beginning of the year. 
Yeah. So do you bring your kids and your family into the process when you're writing a book? Oh yeah. I'll, I'll talk to them about it. And with, especially with the angry one, the anger one, I had them read through it. Like, cause I was sharing their stories and I did change their names. So their pseudonyms in the books, but I had them like, can I share the story about you? And can I share, you know, I mean, I'm sharing my stuff too. It's not just your stuff. So I do bring them into the process. And if there's anything they say, no, I don't want you to share that. I won't. But most of the time they're like, yeah, you can share that. Cause it's, it's not just like putting them down. It's showing like how we can change and how we're doing things differently. So they do like to be involved in the process and they like to like, they're like, Hey, write that in there, put this in there. They like to be involved in it. That's so neat. And I think that's probably why you've been able to write 70 books, because I feel like if we're over on an island trying to work on our own project, you know, and not bringing the family into it, it makes it a lot harder to to do that. So that's that's really encouraging, too. So where can people find you online if they want to connect to you more? Yeah, my website is just TrishaGoyer.com and Trisha's T-R-I-C-I-A, Goyer's G-O-Y-E-R.com. And then thegrumblefreeyear.com. There's links to, we're going to be having a Grumble Free Challenge that'll be starting right after Thanksgiving, where we're going to send out emails. This is something you can do with your family. And why don't you try this? And here's a color sheet with a scripture verse that you can do together. So just getting people involved, because I've already had like pre-readers are like, okay, we want to do this, but we need step by step. Because, you know, I figured it out as I was going through the year. So actually, the readers will get the benefit of being able to have me kind of guide them on the things that work instead of the things that didn't work that I tried. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay. Yes. So, and we'll, we'll have those links in the show notes too. I just like people to be able to hear it as well. Well, Trisha, thank you for taking the time to come on today and share your wisdom and your heart. And I just know a lot of listeners are going to be very blessed because I was blessed just recording this. So. Oh, thank you, Rachel. I always love connecting with you and hopefully we'll get to meet face to face soon. Now, can you see why I love Trisha so much? This book and the podcast episode with her were exactly what I needed to shift the atmosphere in our home, especially during these busy holidays. If you want to win a copy of The Grumble Free Year, text the phrase Real Talk Giveaway, that's all one phrase, to the number 44222 on your cell phone. And don't worry, this does not add your cell phone or email to any lists. It's just an easy way to keep track of all those entries. And once you enter once, you're already entered for all future giveaways. So no need to enter again if you've already done so. Before I go, I just want to tell you guys, I'm so grateful that you choose to listen to this show. I know there are thousands of other shows that you could tune into. So I'm just honored that you choose to spend this time with me. And I would be very grateful if you could leave an iTunes review for the show if you have not done so already. All right, friends, that's all for today. I pray this episode brought you one step closer to getting real living free, and pursuing your God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.